are you guys doing this morning? You guys doing good? You guys loving this fall weather? See a lot of flannels and sweaters out today, and puffer vests and all that. Anyone had a pumpkin spice latte today? I did. All the way over. No shame. Amazing. Well, guys, welcome uh, to Breakthrough. Uh, we are continuing our series called Unveiling the Holy Spirit. Yes, this series has been so, so amazing. Uh, I just want to jump right in because we've got a lot, a lot of work to do. Is that okay? We have a lot of work to do. Uh, but I want to jump in. So far, to recap, we've taught on the person of the Spirit, the presence of the Spirit, the holiness of the Spirit last week. And this Sunday, we are diving into the Church of the Spirit. The Church of the Spirit. I want to start by reading this quote by Rick Joyner. He says, "Is the reason the church emerged in the book of Acts as a force that could so change the world was because the Lord was among them through the Spirit. That encounters with Him day by day, He was their message and He did great works among them. Amen. But if we were to remove the Holy Spirit from the book of Acts, there would be no book of Acts. That without the Holy Spirit, the New Testament church would not have been empowered and would not have been able to spread the gospel in the way that they did. Without the Holy Spirit, you would not have heard the gospel. I want to make this statement that if the church in Acts needed, depended, and were empowered by the Spirit, why wouldn't we need, depend, and be empowered by the Spirit today? All right, let's pray. So, Father, thank you for what you're going to do in this room. Lord, I pray that faith would start to arise just even as we worship and as we took communion, as we remembered the broken body and the blood that was so would faith start to stir in our hearts that everything that we hear can only be digested through faith. That your word does not become living if it's not heard through faith. And so, Holy Spirit, would you just create faith, would you offer faith in greater measures in this room that what is said won't just be empty words, but they would be full of truth and full of the Spirit? Or would you start to rewire our mind in things that we have believed that are lies about your Spirit, that are lies about your church, lies about who we are, and would you just start to do a new and powerful work today? Holy Spirit, we give you permission. Can we say that? Holy Spirit, we give you permission to do what you want to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So I've shared a bit of our story. Um, some of you guys may have heard it. Some of you guys may have not. Uh, but when breakthrough started, I was in um, a mission school, and I was encountering the Holy Spirit for the first time. Uh, never really had much of a gauge. This was the first time I was actually taught on the Holy Spirit, taught on the gifts of the Spirit. Had no understanding of that up until this school. And I was in this school, I was in a prayer room, and I was just praying. And the Lord spoke to me and said, Andrew, I want you to bring this back to Lynchburg. At this time, this is probably, what, nine, eight, nine years ago. And uh, I was like, I want you to bring the Holy Spirit to Lynchburg. Obviously, the Holy Spirit was in Lynchburg, right? It's not like he didn't exist here. But there's a culture that is centered around the Holy Spirit that was lacking in our city. And I remember I was praying, and the Lord was like, I want you to start a house church when you come back to Lynchburg. And I know house church is like a cool thing now. Everyone and their mother are trying to start a house church. But when I started, I had no idea what a house church was. I had no gauge. I'd never been to one. So I was like, Lord, what's a house church? <laughs> and the Lord was like, just read the book of Acts. So that's what I did. I started reading the book of Acts and digesting the book of Acts. I was like, well, if I'm going to start a house church, I'm just going to model it after how God modeled it. So when Breakthrough started, we, we simply just, we're just going to do the Acts thing, right? We're, we're going to walk how the, the disciples walk. We're going to build how Jesus wanted his church to be built. And what happened at the beginning, and it's, it's permeated today, you know, years and years later, is that we wanted to build a church based on God's design, not our preferences. I heard one of our residents tell us, probably the, the best compliment we've ever received, 
uh, one of their friends came to Breakthrough once, like, man, this feels like the New Testament church. That's compliment. And that really is our desire. Man, I want to build what God wants to build. And God's actually given us a really clear picture of how he wants his church to look like. So this is what we're going after today. This is what we're going after as a church. God, what is the house that you want to build, right? We, we say all the time we're a house for his presence. That's, that's more than just an event. That's more than just a two and a half hour time slot. God, what is the, the culture, the family, the DNA, the structure, the, the, the leadership structure, the, the, the focus, the priorities? What is it that you want in your house? And we want to build it, right? Psalm uh, 127 says, unless the Lord builds a house, those who labor, labor in vain. God, we don't want to labor in vain. God, we don't want to build a house that glorifies us, that glorifies our preferences. We want to build what you are building, and we want to join in. Amen? So let's start here in Revelation 22, verse 17. Revelation 22, verse 17. It says this, the Spirit... And the bride say, come. The spirit of the bride, the bride is referring to the church. The spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears this say, come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who drinks, who desires drink freely from the water of life. So what's happening in this passage is this is prophesying of the day when the church and the spirit are going to be in unity. That the spirit and the bride say, come. I want you to hear this, that the return of Jesus is connected to a church or a bride that is one with his spirit. Let's say that again. The return of Jesus is connected to a church that is one with his spirit. That I believe that the church cannot step into her bridal identity without the Holy Spirit. It's a whole other sermon we'll get inside tonight. The spirit, doesn't say the spirit and ecclesia. Does the spirit and the bride say, come? What is the number one role of a bride? To love her bridegroom. What is the number one command of the church? To love God. That in the context of this verse, I want you to listen, that the spirit and the church are crying out for the return of Jesus. And as they say, come, the thirsty or the lost are hearing that cry and it draws them in to satisfy their deep longing, which is found in him. And then they join in with the same love sickness. The spirit and the bride, Jesus, come. That we long for you to be close. We, we long for you to be with us. You are our bridegroom. The, the central goal of the bride is to want to be with their bridegroom. The spirit is stirring the bride. And the bride is part of the spirit. And we're asking for Jesus to return. And as they're crying out for him to come, what's happening is those who are around who are thirsty. Is anyone been thirsty? Those who are around and who are longing are hearing the cry of the church who is lovesick for the return of her bridegroom. And they are stirred. They are stirred to want that same thing. That there's something about the bride that is so real. That there is so much life in the church that this longing for Jesus isn't just this religious, legalistic thing. It's real. And that actually stirs the lost to want to come in and say, I want to be a part of that love sickness and I'm going to join in for his return. Come on. Come on, that's right. The spirit and the bride say, come. That this is what the New Testament church is meant to look like. Let's go to John 16, verse 14. Jesus says this, referring to the Holy Spirit, he will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. And what Jesus is saying is the Spirit will glorify, magnify, and make Jesus real to us. That J.I. Packer says the essence of the Holy Spirit's ministry is at this or any time in the Christian era to mediate the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
So in other words, the spirit is sent to make Christ real to the church and to show us who he really is in his glory. So we would come to love him and worship him and trust him and obey him and show him to the world. And he right, he says this, he says, put it this way. If your idea of God, if your idea of salvation offered in Christ is vague or remote, your idea of worship will be fuzzy and ill-informed. The closer you get to the truth, the clearer becomes the beauty and the more you will find worship welling up within you. That's why theology and worship belong together. The one isn't just a head trip, the other isn't just emotion. The spirit and the bride say what? But if you were to remove the spirit from the church, it acts that would be no church. And unfortunately, a lot of us, specifically in the West, we remove the Holy Spirit from the church. So what is God's desire? John 4, 23 to 24. We're plowing through, you guys okay? John chapter 4, 23 to 24. So, so far we've learned the Holy Spirit is unified with the church, longing for the bridegroom, Jesus, to return. And the Holy Spirit actually glorifies Jesus. He, he, he doesn't want to receive the glory. He wants to magnify Jesus. He wants to make Jesus known. And in that, it actually stirs us to want to worship him. I don't know if you guys knew this, but you can't worship Jesus without the Holy Spirit. You can sing songs, but you can't worship without the Holy Spirit. What does John chapter 4, 23 to 24 say? It says this, but the time is coming. Indeed, it's here now. This is Jesus. When true worshipers, say true worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit, say in spirit, and in truth, say in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship Him that way. For God is spirit, so those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. Has anyone ever heard of this verse and not really understood what it means? Like you understand the truth part kind of, but like in spirit, what does it mean to worship in spirit? I want to break this down for us. That whenever we talk about worship, we, we, we make it a little bit too broad. <laughs> Like, yes, your, your life is worship. Your living sacrifice, how you treat people is an act of worship. Jesus says, if you love the poor, you know, you love me. And we, we see that, but I think we've made worship this really broad, vague thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When Jesus actually shows us what kind of worship he wants. Wow. Imagine if, if I, I'm so in love with my wife, and I'm like, hey, it's your birthday. I'm going to give you a goldfish. <laughs> She's like, I don't want a goldfish. But like, but I love you. Like, this is a great gift. It's a goldfish. But she doesn't want a goldfish. This is what we do in worship. God, God, here's, here's my offering. God said, is this in spirit truth? God, well, God, here's, here's my song. Watery, turn in or wine, right? You give us our song. It's like, is it in spirit truth? No. Well, give me what I want. If you're trying to love me, there's a very specific thing that I want. I love it. True worshipers that will worship the Father and experience truth. If there's true worshipers, that means there's fake worshipers. If there's true worship, that means there's false worship. I tap into something. If there is true worship, then that means there is false worship. And in this passage, what is happening is Jesus is, is being taught. He's being talked to. The woman is asking Jesus, Jesus, where are we supposed to worship? The Jews say worship there, but the Samaritans say we worship over here in Jacob's well. And, and where do we worship? And this is what Jesus says, worship in spirit and in truth. That Jesus was asked about the location of worship, and he showed that worship does indeed happen in a place. 
Worship happens in, say in, the location of truth and in, say in, the location of the spirit. That it's not about a temple, a mountain, or a physical building. It's about entering into a place that allows worship to flow from. I want to say this, that worship is the response of your location. Worship is the response of your location. (laughs) What does this mean? Andrew, what does this mean? What are you saying? That you can only swim if you are in what? You can't swim anywhere else. It's not swimming. I can do this. Am I swimming? I may be doing the action of what I'm doing if I was swimming. I look really silly, right? But if I'm not in water, it's not swimming. I can do this. But if I'm not in spirit and truth, it's not worship. I can be doing this. But if not in spirit and not in truth, I'm just making noise. I can do this. But if it's on spirit, it's on truth, and it's not worship. The same thing with worship, your ability to do so is connected to what you are in. That you cannot worship God in lies and distortion because that's the wrong location. It's not possible the same way it's not possible to swim while on dry land. So that's truth. Truth alone is only half of the equation into what true worship is. He says worship also happens in, say in, in the location of the Spirit. It's only in union with the person of the Holy Spirit that you are able to behold Jesus clearly. That you cannot worship while you are in the flesh. Only when you are in the Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit who awakens in us an understanding of God's beauty and splendor and power. It's the Holy Spirit who stirs us to celebrate and rejoice and give thanks. It's the Holy Spirit who opens our eyes to see and savor all that God is for us in Christ Jesus. We worship in spirit. What is the number one role of a bride? To love her bridegroom. What is the number one command of the church? To love God. That worship is love expressed. And worship flows from partnership with the spirit and truth. Because this is his primary ministry to glorify Jesus. This is what a church of the spirit looks like. It's not just emotion, it's not just action, it's location. Jesus says, this is the worship that the Father seeks. This is what he seeks. I say this almost every Sunday, there's only two things in scripture it says that the Father is seeking, and it's the lost and his worshipers. He's not seeking worship, he's seeking worshipers. He's seeking a people. He's seeking a church, a bride. Come on. He's looking for a bride. Who knows how to love him the way he wants to be loved. Amen. So the word spirit in Hebrew is ruach or ruah which means both breath or wind, breath or wind. So the first point I want to make is that the spirit is the life of the church. So we're talking about a church of the spirit. The spirit is the life of the church. That the first and last thing you do on this earth is breathe. Everyone just take a deep breath real quick. If you have breath, that means you're alive. The spirit is the life of church or the breath of the church. Let's go to John 3, 6 to 8. 
John 3, 6 to 8. It says this, humans can only reproduce only human life. But the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind. They can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Born of the Spirit. But if you believe in Jesus, you are born of the Spirit. I want you to think about that. If you believe in Jesus, you are born of the Spirit. That He gave birth to your spiritual life. That when a baby is born, that baby shares similarities and attributes and characteristics of their parents. As Christians born of the Spirit, only by Him do we share the nature, attributes, and characteristics of Jesus. You are born of the Spirit. You're no longer born of the flesh. You're no longer born of sin. You're born of the Spirit. Oh, I want you guys to get this, because this is good. (laughs) The Christian life, which is doing all Jesus has called us to do, it isn't just difficult, it's actually impossible without the Holy Spirit. Do you know that? Maybe this is why the Christian life has been difficult. I've been there. I've been in seasons where it's like, man, I really don't want to follow Jesus right now. I really just want to do my own thing. I really just want to go to California and live on a beach and not do ministry. I've been there, right? Can I be wrong? No, this is not a moral church. It's fine. We've been there, right? We're following Jesus is hard. When you've been in the world for 20 years and you just got saved, you're on the year one and you've known how to do only one thing for 20 years, it's hard to follow Jesus. But you're given this breath. That the Christian life is not possible without the Holy Spirit. How can you love your abuser? You can't. You can try, but with his breath you can. How, how can I turn the other cheek when someone just, man, they just defiled my character? You can't. This breath can't. Well, how, how can I overcome this, this anger that, that has just been modeled to me for generations and, and, and it's just in me and I can't control it? Well, you can't. But this breath can't. That he is the life of the church. Or we, we talked about it about this last week. Holiness. Who is here for that? We talked about holiness. That we cannot walk in holiness in our own strength. This is what the Pharisees try to do. I'm gonna try to be right with God based on my own efforts. Has anyone ever tried that? And when you don't measure up, what do you feel? Shame, guilt, condemnation. That the Holy Spirit is the one that produces love. You can't produce love. You can express love. You can feel love. But you can't produce the fruit of love. Joy. Who needs joy? Only Caleb in the back. Who needs joy? I need joy. Who needs peace? Who needs patience? Parents, come on. Who needs kindness? Who needs goodness? Who needs faithfulness? Who needs gentleness? Who needs self-control? You can't produce that, but his breath can. is the life of the church. And if we live our whole life ignoring him, this is what the Christian life looks like. (gasps) (gasps) 
That's the Christian life, love the Spirit. I'll come to church, I'll get a little breath. I'll, I'll meet with my, my, my mentor, I'll get, I'll get a little breath. I'll, I'll listen to Stephanie Gritzinger on YouTube, I'll get a little breath. Hey, go there, go there. I'll, I'll listen to Upper Room, I'll, I'll get a little breath in my prayer closet. It's about a location. Jesus says, abide in me, and apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can't breathe. Yes, physically, God is good enough that even if you never believe in him, you can have physical life. But what does it say? Humans reproduce human life, spirit reproduces spiritual life. And who knows your spiritual life is actually more real than your physical life. We're born of the spirit. Let's state this again. You were never designed to live for God on your own. Jesus knew that, so he gave you his spirit. He's the breath. What is, what, what is Jesus saying in John 20, 21 and 22? It says, again, this is Jesus, after he resurrected, he gathered his disciples. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. What does he do? Then he, he breathed on them. And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. As Jesus, after he resurrected, he breathed on the disciples and inviting them to receive his spirit. Genesis 2.7. It says this, when the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground, he what? He, he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. That the very breath of God, the person of the Spirit, the same Spirit that rose Jesus, his physical body, back to life is given to us when we believe. That's scripture. The same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives inside of you. Can we use our heads for a second? You come to church and we just hear Christian knees. We're like, that's cool, born of the Spirit, Spirit and the Bride, I'm a temple, and it just, we're just kind of desensitized to this. I want you to just use, use your head for a second. Same Spirit. That raised Jesus' dead body. And this was a body that was lashed and pierced and beaten. Scripture says that, that they plucked his beard hair out. That he was so marred that he didn't even look like a human anymore. This dead body, this was not a pretty body. This dead body, God's breath, <sighs> rose him to life. And he didn't look the same. Come on. Yeah. That, that dead body didn't come out of the grave looking the same. It was whole. Yeah. It was radiant. It was glorified. That breath, that spirit, when you say, Jesus, I believe in you, lives within you. Yes. Yes. This is why we say we need to operate in faith. Because that will only become head knowledge if you don't believe it in faith. Can I talk about faith for a second? Yeah, yeah. Jesus says, this is what pleases me. Faith. Faith is dependency in simplest form, right? What you're doing right now is you have faith in your chair. Right? I say this all the time. Where faith means to put all of your weight onto something. None of you are thinking about your chair. Hopefully not. Maybe the white ones. You think about those a little bit. cheap. Just kidding. None of you are consciously thinking about, ah, this chair might, it might break, it might fall, it might just evaporate, it might leave me. No one is thinking that because you have faith in your chair. You're putting all of your weight and your trust and your dependency on your chair. He says, this is how I want you to operate in my kingdom. And I want you to think about how powerful faith is for a second. 
that if faith has the ability to turn you from a dead person spiritually to a living person, and also has the ability to bring you into eternal life. Think about this. Because you have faith, when you die, you're going to live forever. Guys, that's weird. That's what faith is. That's what faith does. This, this faith, and it's actually not about the faith. It's about what the faith is put on. This faith is actually a neutral word. You can have faith. You can put your dependency on your finances. It's a neutral word. You can have faith on your degree, on, on your, your material things. You can actually have faith in the wrong kingdom. That's a thing too. You can have faith in lies. You can put your weight on what grandma said about you. You can't let it go because you actually, you fueled that thing. You gave that thing faith. You fed it faith. You, you put your weight and dependency on that. It, it's not about necessarily the faith. It's what the faith is put on. And Jesus is saying, I am someone you can put your faith on. And because of who I am, your faith ushers you into a new reality of life. Not just on earth, but also in heaven. That's how powerful faith is. That's right. So when we gather and worship, guys, I'll be honest with you. A lot of times when I worship, I don't feel anything. We're going in. You know, Issa's hitting the entire scale. You know what I'm saying? She's hitting all the notes. Everyone's shouting. I don't feel things all the time. Sometimes I do, and it's a gift. But it's not about what I feel. That's right. That's right. That's right. Yes. It's about who I faith in. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That because of who he is, I can trust my faith yeah. in his hands. Yes, yes. And because of that, even if I don't feel like worshiping, I can still worship. Because worship isn't about what I feel, it's about who he yeah, is. And who he yeah. is doesn't change. The Holy Spirit is only making him more real and more beautiful and more tangible. That's what faith does. So I'm going to say it again. The same breath, the same spirit that rose Jesus' physical body back to life is given to us when we believe. Leonard Ravenhill, he was a revivalist and a teacher. He says this, he says, I don't ask people if they're saved anymore. I look them straight in the eye and say, does Christ live inside of you? Listen, if a man is really born again of the Spirit of God, it is the most radical thing this side of eternity. He becomes a new creature. He has a new heart. He has a new mind. That's right. That's right. Faith is the only thing that pleases God. Because when you live by faith, you're able to receive what he's been trying to give you this entire time. When you operate in faith, you're able to receive what he actually did for you. Do you have any artists in the room? Artists, musicians? Awesome. That as an artist, I, I'm a designer full time besides doing this. That as an artist or as a designer, when, when I'm creating something, I'm designing something, I, I usually don't stop unless I'm pleased with it, right? Like, like your, your work is not finished as a creator, as creative, until you're pleased with what you've done, right? And the reason you're pleased with it, listen, is because what you've made has embodied your original intent. That I am done working. I'm, I'm pleased with what I've made when I look at it and I say, this is what I thought about when I first started and now it looks like what I thought about. That it's actually embodied its original design. That's what makes me pleased with it. 
When you operate in faith, you're operating in the original design, and that's what pleases God. He looks at you and says, I'm pleased with them. Because they're not operating in their flesh. They're not operating in their own ability. They're not operating in their striving. They're actually operating in faith in what I've done for them. It's only through that that they have breath and life. Acts 2. Actually, let's go to Genesis 1, 1 and 2. It says this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. That we see that the Spirit moved upon the face of the waters in the beginning. Before any life, the Spirit was there. He was in the process of turning what was formless and empty into living and breathing. And he did the same thing with you when you said yes to Jesus. And he continues to do the same work today as you yield to his breath. He takes what is formless and what is empty and what is void and what is dark in your life and he turns it into something with purpose, into something with meaning, into something with vibrancy, into something with joy, into something with peace, into something with patience, into something with gentleness and faithfulness and goodness and something as self-control. Who needs that? So the Spirit does. See his life. Let's go to Acts 2, 44 to 47. I'll plow through this. That right after Pentecost, this is the, the birth of the church. It says this, and all the believers met together in one place, shared everything that they had. They sold the property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity. All the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people, and each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. This is what the church looked like after they received his breath. This is what a church filled with the Spirit looks like. A church filled with the Spirit is unified. It's generous. It worships often. It does life together in each other's home. It's filled with joy. It's full of praise. And the lost were being saved. This is what happens when life comes into the church. And I'm proud to say that's what our church looks like. Yeah. Yes. Not a lot of amens. <laughs> Guys, that's what our church looks like. Yeah. Amen. It isn't like a brag, humble brag. Right, this is, this is what we do at Breakthrough. Is that we're unified, we're generous, we worship often, we do life together in each other's homes, we're filled with joy, full of praise, and the lost are being saved. This is what a church of the Spirit looks like. All right. So again, the word spirit in Hebrew is ruach or ruach, which means both breath, but also means wind. So point number two is the Spirit is the power of the church. The Spirit is the power of the church. Let's go to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2, 44 to 47 says this. Sorry, Acts chapter 2, 1 to 4 says this. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled, say filled, with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. Later in the series, we're going to talk about tongues, what that means, what that looks like. So we'll get there. But I want to say this, that breath symbolizes life but wind symbolizes power. Breath symbolizes life, but wind symbolizes power. 
that the Spirit empowers the church to walk in its identity and calling. That the enemy has distorted the Holy Spirit, and as a result, he's made the church weak and powerless. But if the church in Acts walked in power, then so does the church today. Jesus walked in power, do we all agree? He says, these signs will follow those who believe. What is that? Faith. These signs, these things that I've done, will follow those who believe. I heard someone say one time, but Jesus didn't just come and to do signs and miracles to show off that he was God. It's part of it. God doesn't need a show off. He didn't just do signs and miracles and healings and cast out demons just to show that he can, but to actually show you that you can. This is what it looks like to be walking as someone who's filled with the Spirit. That 1 Corinthians 4.20 says the kingdom is not a matter of talk, but of power. That if we want to see his kingdom, the king's dominion, the way Jesus ushered his kingdom, wasn't just by talking about it, but it was by demonstrating it. And the kingdom and the commission to spread the gospel is connected to the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. That 2 Timothy 1.7 says this, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power, love, and of self-discipline. That a church of the Spirit is a church that does not operate in fear or timidity, but operates in the power of the Holy Spirit, motivated in love, and lives a life submitted to His ways. This is what we're after. Acts 4, 29 to 31. It says this, And now, O Lord, hear their threats, and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Right? We know that the church was under heavy persecution. Stretch out your hand with healing power. Many miraculous signs and wonders will be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the word of God with boldness. That this is a moment where they were filled with the Holy Spirit after Pentecost. And the Spirit filled them for a purpose. When you pay attention, the Spirit filled them for a purpose. What was the purpose? It was to make them bold to proclaim the gospel and to walk in healing and miracles. This is what happened and what happens when you're filled with the Spirit. A lot of us think, man, to be filled with the Spirit is just to have a spiritual life. It's actually so much more than that. And we see in Acts that he actually gave his disciples his spirit to empower them for a purpose. That being filled with the spirit isn't just for you, it's also for those around you. That the spirit's primary ministry is to glorify Jesus, which means he longs for the world to know who Jesus is. And if we say we're so filled with the Spirit that we should be longing for what He longs for. And He longs for the lost to know Jesus. That's right. I had this meeting with my, my mentor. He's a, a pastor out in Nashville. And we're talking about church and Holy Spirit and all this stuff. And I was sharing our vision and who we're going and all God's doing. And He kind of stopped me in my steps and kind of very nicely reviews me. And he said this line, and I want to say this because it's really important. He says this. He, he told me this on the phone. He said, if we are convinced that we are so full of the Spirit but aren't burning for the lost, then we are more full of a style than a substance. If we say, man, we are so 
filled with the Spirit, I speak in tongues. You know, I'm levitating in my prayer closet. That's a joke. But man, we're so spiritual. And when I come to breakthrough, I'm like the loudest person worshiping. That if you are so full of the Spirit, but you're not actually burning for the lost, then you're more full of a style than a substance. And that one line <laughs> felt like wind. Shifted. Shifting. Because what does it mean for something to be full? You know, a cup isn't actually full unless it's spilling. Oh, you guys didn't get that. A cup isn't actually full until it's spilling out of the brims. It can appear full. It can be all the way to the top, but there's actually a centimeter left that isn't full. It's not actually full until it's spilling out. <laughs> that if we're truly full of the Spirit, then we should be burning for what the Spirit burns for. And the Spirit loves to give us encounters. He loves to give us gifts, which we're going to talk about later in a few weeks. But what He burns for is for Jesus to be glorified. What He burns for is for the lost and the hurting to come to know Jesus. That His gifts aren't just for us to like play in church. We throw this gift and use that gift. And man, that was so cool. Man, that person just prophesied, and that's amazing. But what does the New Testament church look like? It says that their numbers were being added daily. People were getting saved in their midst because they're filled and they're spilling out. That Acts 1.8, it says this, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and all the ends of the earth. Guys, this was the very last thing Jesus said. The very last statement before he ascended into heaven. He could have said anything. <laughs> he leave that verse up. Jesus could have said anything. Go into your prayer closets. Go soak in the prayer room. It's all great. We do that. This was the very last thing he said. He says, you will receive power. You will receive wind. You will receive gifts. You will receive boldness. So you will be my witnesses. So you may represent me. So you can tell people of what you've seen and what you've experienced in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. That is local, regionally, globally. That he gave us power to be a witness of him to fulfill the great commission. Guys, this is what it means to be spirit-filled. Is you have life, but you also have power. But your power isn't just for you. It's for others. It's for others to know him. And others to experience him. And we value the presence. Our number one goal is to minister to the Lord. Right? The greatest command. Love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But that is the foundation that we build on to share that to others. And I don't want to be a church that's only full of Christians. I don't want to be a church that only has people that know Jesus. I want to be a church that lost people can come in. I want to be a church where broken people can come in. I want to be a church that brings broken people in. That goes out and brings lost people in. Because I believe, and this is, this is me preaching to myself, I want you to hear this. That we're not actually as filled with the Spirit as we think we are if we're not burdened for the lost. We're, we're actually not as connected to His desires as we think we are if we're not burdened for what He burns for. 
What does the Father seek? Worshippers of the lost. So I want to go back to Revelation 22, where we started. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come. Let anyone who hears this say, Come. Let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life say, Come. This is what a church of the Spirit, this is what a Spirit filled church is meant to look like. So, to recap this and break this all down, what does it mean to be a church of the Spirit? Ready for this? Number one is to be submitted to his leadership. Number two is to be extravagant in its love for Jesus. Number three is bearing the fruit of the Spirit and holiness. Guys, you can yell and speak in tongues and do all that stuff, but if you're rude to people, you're not still the Spirit. Number four is you are full of life and freedom. Number five, you're operating in power and his gifts. And number six is you're burning for the loss in the gospel. This is what a church of the Spirit looks like. And I think we've had expressions of parts of this. But I don't want to just be partially full of the Spirit. I want to be filled. I don't want to have a church that is only kind of full of the Spirit. I want a church that is filled. I don't want a leadership team that is just kind of filled with the Spirit. I want a leadership team that is filled. I don't want a congregation that is just a little bit filled with the Spirit and kind of has this but doesn't really have that. I want a church that is filled. So let's stand, and I want to read this. I actually want us to read this together. This is a declaration of who we are at Breakthrough Church. It's a declaration of who we are at Breakthrough Church. Can we read this together? We are a church that is unified with the Spirit submitted to his leadership, and is stirred in extravagant love for Jesus. We do not operate in striving and performance. Rather, we live in holiness, bearing the fruit of the Spirit. Walk in power using the gifts he gives us with a burning compassion for people to experience freedom for the lost to know the Father. Amen. 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 Now the worship team come up.